so today we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're starting this 18-week series in the book of Ephesians. So uh, it's going to be a really fun journey. Some of you were like, whoa, 18 weeks. Um, it's like, this is not as long as Mark. We did a whole year in the book of Mark last year. So uh, we're not going to go that long. But Ephesians is going to be just this awesome, in-depth look at, it, you know, at the scriptures. And we just kind of walk verse by verse uh, for a while. And Man, I think it's going to be really, really fun. Um, so uh, today's sermon, it, it, we're not going to jump into everything today. Um, it's really going to feel more like planning a trip. I don't know if you've ever been uh, or planned a vacation for your friends or gone on a trip with family. Uh, but today's sermon is really kind of going to be like that. I remember when I uh, graduated college, me and some buddies planned a trip to Puerto Rico sort of as a graduation uh, graduation uh, trip. And we, we did it because sometime in March, one of my friends was just randomly on like Travelocity or something. And, uh, and randomly, he just kind of was looking for plane flights and stuff and, and saw that there were $200 round trip tickets to Puerto Rico from Nashville. Um, and we were like, okay, let's not think about this too much. Let's just book the trip. And it, it left the day after graduation. And we just got so excited. We began to plan all that the trip would hold for us. You know, we want to go to this rainforest and see this waterfall and go to this old city where there's like a 500-year-old cathedral. We want to go do this and hike this. And, and it was just this time of excitement and planning and thinking about what was going to uh, be coming ahead in this experience uh, on this trip. And, and today, that's sort of what I want to do with, with our time together in, in Ephesians is, is before we, we jump into it and, and start going verse by verse, it's just kind of look back and say, okay, what is this going to be like? You know, what's ahead for us? What experiences are we going to get to have together? Uh, what are we going to be on the look, lookout for? And so I don't want to make this like an, a lecture, like here, here's an overview of Ephesians. Like you can get that on YouTube. Um, you know, what I want this to be is just sort of a, a, an emotional way that we can invest in the story a little bit, kind of get some background and, and have our hearts engaged in a way that will help us have an appetite for what's going to be coming over the next few months. So that's sort of the plan for today. So um, before, um, before we look into the individual verses, I just want to kind of think about um, this uh, book from the perspective of a letter. Uh, because this, this book of the Bible is really a letter written by someone. And so does anybody know what a handwritten letter is? Um, anybody? Anybody love writing? Okay, we got two, two or three. Um, my father-in-law is just the master of this. He will write hundreds, literally hundreds of handwritten notes to people in his life all throughout the year. Um, and he's just like works all the time. I'm like, how do you have time to do this? And he's so intentional about it. Um, but handwritten letters come with this intentionality behind them, Right. You, know, you can't copy and paste the text into a text message and then change the name to a bunch of different people so it seems really personalized and you're like encouraging a bunch of different people. Like, you can't do that with a letter. You gotta sit down and, and write out your thoughts and spend time and, and take some intentionality with that. And, and when, when you receive a letter, when you think about letters, there's a few things I think are really important to know. So I, I wanna think about today's teaching based on letters. So I want us to think about um, who the letter's from, first of all. I want to talk about you know, who wrote it. Why is that important? I want to talk about you know, who it's to, like who's the letter um, being addressed to, who are the recipients. And then I sort of want to get a big picture of the letter and, and kind of think, okay, what is the, what is the main point of, of what this letter's trying to say to us? So that's kind of where we're going to go. So um, the first part is, is who the letter's from. And I think this is really, really important. You know, anytime you receive a letter, it, it's helpful to know who wrote it. Right, so if you were to get a letter in the mail and it has no return address on it, and it's got you know, this really sweet letter written to you, but no signature at the bottom, it's gonna be kind of weird, first of all. You're like, did I open this? <laughs> what, how do I take this? Who knows all this information about me? But you know, the, the, the letter has so much more meaning when you understand the author, you understand uh, your relationship with them, where they might be coming from. You know, I was talking to one of my friends this week. He and his wife just um, have gone through a season where they had a miscarriage with their child. It was just this really painful season where they had been looking forward and expecting this new life in their, 
in, in their lives and it was cut short and it was just very painful. And my friend was talking to me about how this, this past week he was on the way into work and he felt the Holy Spirit just re- uh, help him remember a song that he heard a long time ago. And the lyrics of the song just kind of came to him on his drive. And these were the, song, these were the words of the song. It says, I know you hear me, Lord. Your plans are for me. Goodness you have in store, so thy will be done. Thy will be done. He started talking about how it was encouraging and, and, and how this was uplifting to him. And he got into work and typed the lyrics into uh, Google and began to research the story behind the song and the author and how uh, the author was going through some things when, and when she wrote it. And he found out that the author wrote this song right after she had experienced a miscarriage. And it was this deep like, moment of emotional connection with the lyrics of the song because he understood uh, the intent of the author and the pain and the suffering out of which that song was written. And I think similarly for us, um, we, we can jump into texts of the Bible sometimes and just kind of jump right into it without ever knowing the story of who, who penned these words and, and why that might be important for us to receive and hear those words more deeply. So I wanna talk about, just for a few minutes, who, who wrote this and why that might be important for us. So let's jump into the, just verse one, chapter one, uh, even literally the first word tells us. So we don't have to read very far to know the answer to our question. So let's look at verse one. Uh, it says, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right off the bat, we get this picture of a guy named Paul. Uh, And we know a little bit about Paul from the scriptures. And and I just wanna think for a few minutes, why does it matter that Paul wrote this and what, what was his story? So maybe you're familiar with the, uh, this guy named Apostle Paul. Maybe you're not familiar with him at all, but um, you know, this guy is just this amazing picture. His, his life is an amazing picture that God uh, can literally use anyone uh, if, they'll, if they'll be willing to be used by God. I think it's just this really cool picture. Paul was this passionate man in life, uh, just had so much zeal for life and zeal for his passions. The issue was that his, his passions were misdirected toward the wrong things. We get this picture in his life in the early part of Acts, uh, the book of Acts, where um, he originally went by the name Saul. And he, he spent most of his years trying to earn and do things for God by performing really well at religious tasks. That's kind of what his life was about. So he tried to memorize just huge chunks of the scripture, spent all, all the time in the synagogue and the temple praying. And, and this was sort of what he did, but he was extremely legalistic about the rules. He became uh, obsessed with kind of keeping the rules and living into a certain way, so much so that he began to fall into what we might think of today as religious extremism, where anybody that disagreed, uh, they were heretical, and they, they needed to be shut up and persecuted because they were uh, speaking the wrong things. And, and so he began to do this all in God's name, it's kind of a scary thing, how you can be so like, passionate about something, but be totally misdirected. Acts chapter eight, verse three, describes his situation. It says that he ravaged the early church. Um, He entered house after house, dragging out men and women to put them in prison. Just this picture of this guy who was like so zealous and so passionate about what he believed in, but was so misdirected. He even goes on to condone and hold the coats for people that would stone some of the early Christians and and kill them. And this is this picture of, of this guy named Saul. But, but Saul's life doesn't stay like this. You know, for a lot of us, we have moments in our lives where kind of an experience or, you know, a moment in life changes everything for us. Uh, and, and Saul experiences this in, in a moment in his life. So there's a moment where he's on the road to a city called Damascus, and it, it describes him being filled with this murderous rage. Uh, he, he's headed to this city, and his, his purpose is to round up all the Christians and throw them in prison. 
That's kind of what, what he's doing and things don't turn out that way. So Jesus shows up to him on this trip in just a blinding light and it literally blinds him and disorients him. And, and Jesus calls out to him and says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Like, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this? And Saul, disoriented, uh, confused about what's going on, begins to cry out. He's like, who are you? Who are you, Lord? Like, what's, what's going on? And, and Jesus begins to unpack for Saul um, Jesus' true identity and, and the reality of how things truly are and, and the true nature of who Jesus was and, and tells them that his name is no longer gonna be Saul, but his new identity is gonna be Paul. He's gonna be set apart to, to bring the glory of God to all the new nations in the world. It's just this picture of a, a huge shift from someone who is like identified by murdering Christians to literally shifting their entire purpose in life to advancing uh, the purpose of, of all that Jesus stood for. Jesus tells Paul that he's been chosen to be God's chosen instrument for, for God's glory in the world. So Paul gets baptized, receives the Holy Spirit, begins like preaching everywhere, begins traveling all the known world in Asia and Europe, all over like the modern Middle East and planting churches. It's just this crazy shift. I want you to think about how crazy this is in the modern day. You know, we think about how religious extremism is um, kind of prevalent in our world and the fear that that creates in our country. You just think about somebody who is a religious extremist and their, their whole life was sort of dedicated to killing Christians in life. And in a dream, they, they meet Jesus and turn their life around and now they wanna come be your pastor. They wanna lead your house church. Like, that's sort of what's happening here. And there's some struggle with that in the early church. Like, Paul, aren't you the dude that like killed my brother? Like killed our friends? And, and Paul just begins to talk about how God has changed his life. And it's just this amazing picture that no matter how far you have gone, no matter what you've done in life, if you'll turn to Christ, then, then God is willing to use you. So in order to, to uplift, to instruct these churches that he's planting, Paul begins to send them letters, begins to write them things. And you know, they didn't have FaceTime back then or you know, the internet, so they couldn't really communicate quickly. So he sends, sends these churches letters to encourage them in their faith. That's where we get you know, a bunch of the books in the New Testament that we call books, but they're really just letters. You know, the letter to the Ephesians, the letter to the Romans, and uh, the letter to the, the people in Corinth. This is where much of our scriptures come from. And Paul writes many of these letters while he's in prison. You know, he, he begins preaching the name of Jesus in places where it's not really um, accepted. They, they throw him in prison, they persecute him, they beat him. And ultimately Paul is killed just for simply preaching the name of Jesus and the story of Jesus. So that, that's the guy who, who wrote this. I think that should, that should begin to change how we read these words. You know, this is not someone who's um, ambivalent towards suffering and pain in life. They know what it's like to be persecuted. This is not someone who doesn't understand what it's like to be ashamed of their past to have done things in life that are really shameful. Um, this guy knows what that feels like. So I think we begin to hear his words in a different light. And, and I think if you hear nothing else than, than what I say today, um, I hope this encourages you that no matter where you are today or where you have been, um, if, if you'll turn to God, he will welcome you with loving arms. Uh, his grace is enough for anything that you have done in life. His grace is enough for anything that you did last night. Um, anything that you bring into today, the grace of Jesus is enough for that and it will be enough uh, for you in the future. And, and just the, the very person that writes this book is screaming that truth for us um, as we approach it. So, um, you know, this, this letter isn't made up of somebody random writing uh, random words. It's a person that lived life apart from God, who rebelled from God and somebody who experienced the deep grace of God that revolutionized his whole life, his whole purpose and all that he cared for. So I think this will help us understand all that he says in a little more uh, full way. And, but back to our, our analogy about letters, I don't think it's just important to know who wrote the letter, uh, but it's also important to know who they were writing to. 
Uh, so if, if you were to kind of read somebody's mail, it, it, it's helpful to, it's kind of a weird <laughs> analogy to use, but it's helpful to know who wrote it, but it helps also to know who's receiving the letter and the relationship that those people have. So let's talk about that for just a, a couple moments. We do know that at one point, Paul spent several years in this city called Ephesus, this kind of this ancient city where there's culture and all these things that were bustling in, in the ancient world. And Paul spent time just preaching and, and planting these churches. But we don't know for sure that, that Paul was writing this letter specifically to a group of people. You know, right at the beginning, it says, uh, to the saints who are in Ephesus. And a lot of your Bibles have a little uh, number for the, to look in the margins. And it says, okay, this phrase in Ephesus is not in all the manuscripts. And this is kind of important for us because the earliest manuscripts we have don't have that phrase in Ephesus. So it's like, okay, how did, how did that happen? Did somebody just add it in later? Um, what we think, what most scholars think is that this, this letter was originally sent to the Ephesian church, but it was meant to be circulated around all these house churches all over Asia. And that's sort of where it got its traditional oral name of this is the letter to the Ephesians because that's where it went first. So I, I think that doesn't have a, a huge weight for us. Some, some people, that, that's a, like a really big deal, uh, who it was to originally and who it wasn't. But I think the biggest thing that we can take from this, regardless of the details of the specific city it went to, is the people that Paul was writing to more, more generally. So if you see right in the first verse, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. Or some of your Bibles might say to the holy ones that are in Ephesus. He addresses the letter to saints. And it, it struck me this week how interesting that is. You know, we don't use that phrase saints very often. I don't like, you know, talk to Joshua. I'm like, what's up, saint? You know, I don't really, you don't think of each other as saints usually. It's more sarcastic usually. You know, you go on a date with somebody and it's like, how was the day? It's like, man, he was a saint, let me tell you. Uh, we don't really use this word a lot in our modern conversations. And when we do, we think of it more in terms of like, Catholic sainthood. Usually maybe you're familiar with Catholicism and how you know, these ancient figures in the church were, were uh, deemed saints, you know, St. Saint Peter, St. Saint Bartholomew, and they have big cathedrals named after them. And, and typically anybody uh, that we, we think about in that way that's a saint, it's somebody who has done something really, really epic spiritually. You know, they've, they've had these amazing moments in life where they sacrificed something or they were martyred and, and, and they uh, ascend to sainthood, so to speak. Even in other cultures and Eastern religions like Hinduism, saints are the spiritual gurus. They're the spiritual elite, the people who have mastered some, some spiritual practice. And it's all defined by their abilities, their performance, the things that they can do in life. And that's not the picture we get here in Ephesians. You know, Paul starts out and he says, uh, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and we know these people haven't ascended to this epic spiritual place because we read the rest of the book and they're messed up just like the rest of us. So, so what's going on here? The crazy thing about sainthood in Christianity uh, is that it's not at all based on what you and I have done. It doesn't matter at all uh, our performance or our abilities. It is all based on what Jesus has done. This is the beautiful thing about uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He, Paul begins this letter with this proclamation. Hey, you are saints not because of anything you've done. You haven't earned that title, but I'm addressing you that way because of what Jesus has done for you. Christianity isn't an externalized religion about our good works and our good deeds uh, and about how spiritually elite we can become. It's all based on what God has done. It's all based on what Jesus has done for us. And this is gonna underscore uh, the entire trajectory of this series. That it's all based on what God has done. It's all based on what Jesus has done, his grace, his goodness, his sacrifice. So I don't just wanna think about the author or the recipients, but I wanna see how um, those things begin to play out as we see the whole scope of the book. 
the, the whole uh, thematic journey that we're gonna get to go on. I wanna kind of whet your appetite for the, for the vacation that we're gonna get to go on together over the next 18 weeks. You know, so often we, we zoom in and we, we start in, in one particular part of, of the scriptures and we don't get a picture of like, okay, really, what was this about? You know, if you were to get a letter in the mail, you know, somebody that you really care about wrote you a long love letter, um, wrote you a Valentine or something, and, and you open it up and you're just like, okay, I wanna get to the good stuff. You flip to the fourth page, read one paragraph, and then you're like, okay, I think I got the picture of what that letter was about. I really understand what they were trying to say to me. I'm done. And you rip it up and throw it in the, in the trash. It's like, you wouldn't really know all that that person was saying. You'd have one little snapshot, right? And that snapshot could represent some, some good things, but typically what we would do is read the whole letter first, get, get the picture for all that that person was trying to say to us. And then we might go back and say, okay, this part was very meaningful to me. I wanna think about this a little more. I wanna remember this part of the letter. And I think that's what we wanna do with this letter uh, to, to Ephesus. So um, the final thing I wanna do today is just kind of give you a big picture view of what's going on in this book. Why does that matter for us? Um, so here's the idea, very simply, Ephesians is broken up into two separate parts that have two separate focuses. The beginning of the book, the first three chapters are all about what God has done. They're all about God. And the second three chapters begin to be about what you and I um, can do in light of that. So the first half, uh, these first three chapters begin with this amazing like run-on sentence. It just like kills grammar nerds. They're like, where's the period? You just keep reading, keep reading, keep reading. And Paul is just talking. He can't stop talking about what God has done. It's like God has chosen you before the world began to lavish his love on you so that he can unite all things in him. It's by grace you've been saved, not through works. You know, that's what Jared was reading earlier. It's like, you have been reconciled to God and that changes all your identity. And that's, that's, that's what is gonna be the picture of the entire first half of this book that Paul exclusively just proclaims what God has done, how good God is, how incredible God is, and what our identities are in light of that. You know, I was looking at one commentator this week about how in the first three chapters, if you just kind of look at the verbs, they're all um, the same type of verb in the original language. You know, in, in, in grammar, in, just in language, there's a tense called the indicative tense. And it just speaks to how uh, things are, truth statements. God is amazing, you know, God is incredible. You are saints, you have been reconciled. These are truth statements, indicative statements about us and our identities. But when we get to chapter four, things begin to change. And Paul shifts gears away from indicative statements about our identity and who we are and changes gears. So jump to chapter four with me real quick. I wanna show you this, this hinging moment upon which the entire book hinges. Paul says, uh, chapter four, verse one, he says, I therefore, so in light of everything, therefore, because of who God is, because what, because what God has done, therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner of the calling to which you have been called. This is kind of the hinge point where everything shifts away from what God has done to now what, uh, to what it is for the, that we are supposed to do. So there's commands, there's exhortations, there's, um, instead of being indicative, that commentator would say that it now moves to the imperative. This is what you're supposed to do now. So Paul says, walk with humility, walk with gentleness in life, love one another, maintain unity in the church. Put off your old clothes of your old life, take them off and put on the new clothes that are uh, about Christ. Don't fill your lives with impurity and anger, but be thankful and pure in your heart. Put on the armor of God. Like, there's all these exhortations and imperative statements about what we're supposed to do. So rather than speaking about what God has done and what we are, you know, you're saints, God has reconciled you. It's now about what we now do. Instead of being about our identity in Christ, Paul switches gears and talks about our, our responsibility in light of what Christ has done. 
Instead of being uh, indicative statements about all that is, uh, Paul moves to these imperative statements about what we should do and what we should be. And hear me, we, we have to get this order right. We have to read the first three chapters first. This is really key for us. If we start in chapter four with all these statements about responsibility, all these imperatives about what we're supposed to live like, we get this list of performance-based things that we're supposed to do to be right with God, about what a, a person that God likes look like, looks like. If we start in chapter four, we begin with our own abilities, we begin with our own strength, and whether or not we can live up to being a good person in light of what God wants us to be. If we start in chapter four, we get the idea that you know, being a saint uh, begins with what we do, not with what God has done. But if we begin in chapter one, we see that God's grace is what causes our hearts to be transformed. That's where we get our identity. And after that, only after that has been changed, we begin to see a change in our life and how we walk throughout our lives. So if you've ever felt before in your life um, that, or if you ever had a picture of God, I guess, that operates primarily on your abilities, um, if you've ever felt like God doesn't love you as much because you messed up in life, because you are currently still messed up, maybe like me, um, if you feel like you're constantly trying to earn God's forgiveness, constantly trying to earn right standing with God, man, Ephesians has good news for us. Ephesians has really good news for us that God has done through Jesus everything that's necessary for us to be right with him, that our identity as loved daughters and sons in Jesus is secure. And because of that, then we begin to move towards, okay, what does this look like in our lives? What does this look like for us to live this out? So that's Ephesians, that's Ephesians. That's the author, Paul wrote it. I think that'll be helpful for us. We'll come back to what that might mean throughout this series. It's important that we, we see that he's addressing this to people who are secure in their identity as saints. And it's also helpful to see how that trajectory of us being secure in our identity is the starting place for everything we're gonna talk about. So for like the first few months, we're just gonna be trucking along in the first three chapters about all that it means for us to be secure in Christ, that Christ has seated us in the heavenly places, that we have been reconciled to God. And only after we've been like rooted in that are we gonna to begin to talk about, okay, so what does it mean for us to live this out? So that, that's what this, this journey is gonna be like. And man, I so deeply believe that this message is gonna be beneficial for our community. You know, this book covers tons of different issues, but more than anything, I think it's a basic call to get back to the, the really basic elements of what it means to like receive the love of Jesus and to live the love of Jesus out. I think that's desperately needed for my heart. And I think a lot of us are gonna benefit from going on this journey together. I wanna paraphrase one pastor about what he says about this book and why it's important, why it can be relevant for us in our day, in our day and age. He says, in a time and a culture when things seem to be in turmoil, new forms of spirituality and belief are emerging. We need to pay attention to the Ephesians because it's the most concentrated vision of the church in the entire Bible. You know, it starts before time began and it moves into what it looks like on day-to-day -day life for us. In a time when people throughout the world are feeling half dead, even though they're technically alive, we need to understand how God has brought all of us from death to life through Jesus. In a time where people are increasingly divided by race and socioeconomics, we need the vision of unity in Christ alone, the body of Christ that we see in Ephesians. When the world seems poised for self-destruction, we need the perspective of God that he will restore all things to himself, that he will unite all things back to himself. I think this, this book is just gonna speak to us over and over and over again, just a laser-focused wisdom about how we walk with Jesus. And th th this is not just gonna be lofty concepts and lofty ideas. I hope this is like central for us uh, to how we live with Jesus on a day-to-day -day basis, how we grow in our understanding of what it means to live as transformed people um, here in Nashville. 
Um, so just like the trip to Puerto Rico, you know, we've kind of like planned the trip. You know, we're excited about going on it. The flights are booked. You know, we're excited about where we're going to go. I, I hope that this has given you sort of a, an idea of, okay, this is all the exciting journey that, that's ahead of us. And, and I hope that, that we can begin um, entering into on that journey together. As you go throughout this week, um, it'll, it'll help you and it'll help us all so much. You just read through the whole book maybe once a week or read through a few chapters um, as you go throughout our week. Um, it, it'll help us so much. It'll take you about 20 minutes. You can just read from start to finish. You can listen to it on your, uh, on your phone. You can just listen to it while you're getting up in the morning or on your commute. Uh, that'll help us really get a feel for what, what's all going on here. So um, I'm gonna pray for us and uh, then I'll direct us a little bit as we go to communion. God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, for for texts like this that have survived for thousands of years and and that still speak to us because it's living, because you're active in it. I pray that as we enter into on this journey, um, you would help us just for the next few months just to root ourselves as sons and daughters that are loved by you before we ever do anything. God, I pray that if anybody today came into this place feeling like uh, there's expectations uh, or, or there's performance that they need to, to live into in order to be loved by you. Uh, Holy Spirit, you would dismantle everything about those beliefs and just help us to receive all your love, all your grace, not by our own doing, but because of what you have done, Jesus. We love you and we thank you for uh, this journey. Help us to just have uh, great expectations for what you're gonna do in our midst. Uh, we, we ask this all in your name, amen.